to the second episode of our uh, Latin Mass project. Today we will be talking about how we should pray at Divine Liturgy at Mass. I'm Michael Sauter once again. This is Joe with me. Hello, Michael. Uh, we're joined now by a third member today, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hello. It's great to be here. Last time we ended talking about the Mass as a, as a drama, and... I think that's a concept that probably could be developed a little more. Joe, is there something more we can do with this idea? Because we've just briefly touched on it at the end last time. Well, the idea of drama is built not just into the liturgy, but even into the very structure of the churches that we pray in. Just think of the normal shape of the church. It's it's what? It's a cross. Right. The cross is the sacrifice of Jesus that we're celebrating. But there are other things that you might not realize about the the church, such as that when you look around the walls of churches, especially older churches, there's frequently vegetation that's put all around the columns or 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 in the paintings that are the mosaics on the walls. Or, you know, there might be images of trees, of flowers. You see sometimes little heads of angels sticking out of it. In a lot of churches, there are stars on the roof. All of this is part of the impulse towards drama that is in the liturgy that we see spelled out in the building itself. So there's something much beyond that space that's being pointed to here. Yeah, we said last time that the liturgy was about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, representing it. We might add that there's something cosmic to the whole liturgy. I have a quotation from Benedict XVI. He said, The essential intention of worship is peace in the universe through peace with God, through the union of what is above and below. And we see that spelled out even in the church buildings where we see what is below in the flowers and the trees as if it was a garden, what is above in the stars. We see the spiritual in the, in the angels and in the saints. And we ourselves are there as something in between, almost at the crux of the spiritual and the material. And in many ways, a church, the space, it embodies something beyond the simple fact of the building. Uh, in modern times, we don't really have the same sense of natural religion where If you can think of a primitive tribe marking out a tree or a bush or a rock as having some sort of sacred significance, the closest thing we have is imagine you're in a room with a flag that that was used by Apollo missions that touched the moon. It would take on a certain presence. It would have a certain resonance and importance. And by being in contact with that object, you are immediately in contact with something well beyond yourself, something cosmic. So a church and many of the objects within a church and throughout the sacred liturgies are designed to give you that sense of this is more than just simply a building or a vestment. It takes on some other character, some other resonance at the same time. Yeah, so how does this translate then? I mean, so so we ask the question, you know, how should we pray at Mass? I mean, how, what, how does this translate to our prayer? We must always remember when we're praying at Mass what we are as humans that we aren't the angels, and we aren't, say, the stars that are just what they are because of what they are, but we're at this conjunction of personal spiritual beings and of 
of material things. And when we pray at Mass, we have to pray in that special, unique place, that place that unites heaven and earth together. We have to pray both interiorly and spiritually, and we have to pray externally. Right. Is there some kind of some kind of idea we've already touched on then that we could use to name this thing that you're trying to describe then? Sacramentality, because the sacrifice of the Mass was not a bloody sacrifice like at Calvary, but it was a sacrifice through sacraments, principally through the bread and wine which become the body and blood, soul, and divinity of, of Christ. But this idea of sacramentality is larger than just the seven sacraments. The sacramentality is the idea that as bodily creatures, we participate in spiritual realities through our bodies. So that, for instance, uh, what we touch and what we smell and what we taste and the like is part of our spiritual worship. Right. So going back to Aaron's point, we have this natural religious instinct almost to have objects take on a kind of spiritual significance. They touch the spiritual world in a sense. And you take that and it's raised in grace now in this sacramental world of the Christian faith and Christian liturgy. If I may comment on that, actually, um, a, a sacrament is, or a sacramental is a little bit even beyond a symbol, because a symbol is sort of pointing to something else, where sacramentality actually imbues the object with the presence of the thing that it's pointing to. So even beyond the seven sacraments, you know, holy water, like the water itself, it has the character of being set apart, which is where the word holy comes from. So we want, really want to move away from this sort of strictly rational view of things and move towards this sort of intuitive poetic sense. And I think it was John Sr. who said that theology in many ways presupposes poetry, and you have to hmm. allow yourself to um, enter into that sort of multidimensional, multivalent, multisensory approach towards spirituality. It's not just, oh, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm praying. No, the very things that you're touching and what you're saying and feeling and hearing and smelling are part of prayer. So when we enter into the church, we shouldn't think that we are entering into a building that has all of these statues of saints or or the like that we've been talking about. We should think that those symbols are doing more than just symbolizing. They are actually our way of of entering into this union of the cosmos, this this cosmic liturgy. They bring about the reality they signify. Yeah, yeah, and that sacramentality, it's the worship of God through our bodies, where the bodily symbols bring about in some way the unit, what they symbolize. And so it's not too much to say that the church is like a microcosm. The liturgy is like a microcosm. It holds the whole cosmos in it. It accomplishes the whole unity of creation. What then are some of these bodily gestures that we find in the tradition of worship in the church? The very first thing is the facing towards the east, towards the rising sun. We orient ourselves even in the cosmos. In the traditional Latin mass, everybody facing the same direction. And this is one of the oldest symbols. It goes back as far as records go and much earlier than that. This actually ties us into the most ancient of any religion. If you look at Basically, every primitive religion worshiped the sun. What's the importance of the east? It's where the sun rises. Today, what we understand is the sun, if you will, has a gravitas that holds together the solar system. So Christ being 
both the, is the son of God and symbolically the sun that rises, mm-hmm. if you will, provides a center and a gravity and a focus. All religions have this, as you said, Aaron. They all have this sense of orienting themselves in prayer and also this sense of having a center of prayer. So they might have a tree that for them is the center of the universe, a building, and almost every primitive religion, the highest building has to be the holy place, and they see that as being the very center of the world. And there's something like that in the Mass, in this idea of the whole plan of God to unite everything in himself being contained within the liturgy and within the church. And furthermore, if you read the sacred and the profane, what's discussed in there is about how a lot of sacred religion, a lot of religions in seeking the sacred will make it the center of the universe, if you will. And this idea of something being central is very much visible or should be visible within the church in which there's a focal point which it literally is, during the Mass, the center of the universe. God himself is made present, and that provides a unifying factor. And Joseph Ratzinger comments that in the very earliest liturgies that we know of, there was a cross that would be set up on the far eastern wall, and that that would symbolize our access to the Father, which is through Jesus crucified. That same idea, that same continuation of something that is part of religion itself, but is perfected within Catholicism. Now we have other bodily gestures too. We have we kneel, we stand, we sign ourselves in different ways. Um, these also then are taking on some of the same sacramental significance. Kneeling and standing are probably the most important gestures um, for this participation in the liturgy, for the worship of God with our bodies, because that's what we do with our entire body. We kneel, we stand, uh, sometimes we sit, and each one of these has a meaning within the, the traditional Latin Mass. Standing symbolizes our dignity before God, that we are sons of God, it also mm-hmm. sometimes symbolizes marching, our our uh, our willingness to go forward in the service of God, because standing is the posture that you are in when you're about to move. Kneeling in the West, in the Latin tradition, symbolizes two things, adoration and also penance, because when you kneel down, you're seeking mercy, you're acknowledging that you are subordinate to somebody, and of course, when you want to adore God, you would take this position of subordination, but also when you want to beg God for his mercy, you would you would kneel down. Kneeling is a very uh, natural kind of stance for interior prayer, meditation, just mm-hmm. like standing is a very natural stance for singing. So when we sing at the Latin Mass, we tend to stand. When the priest is praying, we tend to kneel. Do we not also kneel at the Latin Mass for communion? And that seems to have a very profound connection with what we're doing. This is a very different, big difference between the experience at the new Mass and the experience at the older form of the Mass. With the Reformed Mass, you'll see mostly people going up and standing for communion. But kneeling implies a great devotion and adoration of God. And uh, to at the Latin Mass, when you kneel to at the 
communion rail to receive the body and blood of the Lord. That is um, an intimate moment, but also a moment of, of awe in the presence of God, of adoration. Yeah, and one of the things I would add to that is, um, one thing to keep in mind is, again, integration. So what you do with your body affects your soul, and your soul affects your body. It's a back and forth, back to the symbiotic. So for me personally, I try to, wherever possible, always kneel regardless of the liturgy that I go to. I've just found personally that by having my body reflect my interior attitude, it makes receiving communion all the more fruitful. What we do with our body begins to form what's going on in the inside, right? Right. And then so also with other gestures, too, then at the Mass. Um, right. When we make the sign of the cross, what we do with our hands, that's a really important thing. It's mm-hmm. changed. You'll see the priest sometimes hold his hands up. That's called the Oron's position. And it's mentioned in the scriptures and the Psalms mentioned by St. Paul, where he says, lifting up holy hands. And the evidence from the catacombs and the like is that the early Christians prayed in a sort of a liturgical gesture with their hands raised. Hmm. In the Middle Ages, this became putting your hands together with your thumbs forming the sign of the cross. Uh, this That comes from the oath of fealty where if you have your hands together, you can't be holding a sword. And so hmm. you had your whole, you had, had your hands together, and the person that you were sta- swearing fealty to, your lord, would squeeze your hands a little bit as a sign of having subordination. But putting our hands together is a sign that we are subordinate to the lord, that he is, he is God and we are creatures. And this kind of gesture of putting your hands together, palms flat, um, fingers extended is almost it's pretty universal as a form of prayer there was an emoji that was supposed to be a giving a high five but everyone used it as prayer because they just saw that sort of symbol and it eventually transformed into that because it's universally recognized as a form of prayer, as putting your hands together like that. Also, we have to sign the cross. We shouldn't forget about that. I mean, that is that marks the beginning right, and end begin, of the liturgy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we begin with the sign of the cross. And the sign of the cross at the Latin Mass is made so frequently. This is something people notice when they first come. The priest is constantly making the sign of the cross. And uh, the sign of the cross is, of course, first of all, a reference to the sign of faith that we're baptized into. It's kind of a physical representation of our faith, but it's also a prayer, right? And some of the saints note that it's like an exorcism. It's like a prayer against the devil as Mm -hmm. well. But in the Mass, when the priest does it, it can have two other symbolic things. Sometimes the priest makes the sign of the cross over himself, but sometimes he makes it in the air over something. And when he makes the sign of the cross in the air over something, he's doing one of two things. He's either blessing that thing, like he does at the end of Mass when he blesses us, or he's indicating that that thing is holy, because the sign of the cross is the cross is the most holy symbol of our faith. And so when he makes the sign of the cross over something, he might be indicating that it's holy. So when the priest at the Latin Mass makes the sign of the cross over the Eucharist, obviously he's not blessing the Eucharist. Right, yeah. But he's indicating that the Eucharist is holy. So one of the things I would add is also in the reception of communion, I prefer, and in the Latin Mass it is pretty much universally done, to receive only and exclusively on the tongue. Uh, And the reason for this, for me personally, is um, when a priest is ordained, his hands are made holy. They are set apart. They are anointed with oil. And 
it's not to say that I haven't been made holy through baptism, but when Christ gives himself to me through the hands of the priest, um, it is like a bird feeding its young, and it is, I just simply have to open up my mouth and receive. It's much more receptive. It's less active. The posture that you take, if I'm kneeling and receiving on the tongue, it is frankly a lot more vulnerable. Um, the power is in the hands of the priest who represents Christ, and he is the one who feeds me. All of these gestures participate in the cosmic liturgy, and as Aaron was just saying, they form us. They become part of our prayer, and they become part of the habits of what's on the inside. And there's this kind of reciprocal relationship. What's on the inside gives the meaning and and the form of, of the gestures that we do, but then the gestures that we do become part of how we experience life on the inside. So when you do little things that you at first glance hardly seem to matter whether you're standing or kneeling for communion whether you're receiving it on the tongue or on the hand those impact the way that you perceive the faith and they also impact in some way whether little or small the way that we're worshiping god and the way that we're entering into this liturgy right okay well thank you thank you very much michael thanks for having me